I have a small library of stuff up here in case you can't tell. Um, yeah, so like Robert was saying, um, my experience with teaching is quite, uh, quite different than being in a Sunday morning gathering. I'm used to uh, a Friday night house of prayer gathering where, uh, funny enough, I'm usually the worship leader as well. So I'm, I'm playing Topher's part, I'm leading worship. And then I would just always say, hey, Risa, you come do the announcements because I'm also teaching. So, and then I come up and teach and I'm always teaching on the return of Jesus. That was my main thing to teach about. So to come up here this morning and teach, I want to teach on the, the, the beauty of the gospel. It's actually a, a bit of a stretch for me because it's not in the book of Revelation and it's not Matthew 24. So it's a little, it's not, I can't, I can't recite all the verses to you. Uh, you know, pick a chapter in Revelation, I could probably teach out of it, but um, this is a little more. But at the same time, when I was reflecting on this. I remember years ago reading uh, Romans 7, and uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit here later. But Romans 7, where Paul is like, I'm stuck in sin, and what am I going to do? And I would read that like, this is really confusing, because if you read Romans 1 through 6, Paul's teaching what to do. He's teaching who we are. We live in righteousness. And then they get to chapter 7 and read it. You're like, what's wrong with Paul? Like, did he just have a bad day and forget to ask the Holy Spirit what to teach him this day? And he's like, well, I'm just going to write chapter 7 here in my flesh and get back to the Spirit in chapter 8. Like, it's very confusing. Uh, but it's not. It's really not. But, uh, but I'm going to, that's what we're going to get to towards the end. That's going to kind of hopefully drive the point home. But I want to talk about the beauty of the gospel. But uh, as Robert was saying, um, I like to, like a couple of people are saying, yeah, I'm preaching today. I'm like, eh, I'm kind of teaching. I don't really know what preaching's all about. Like, uh, I couldn't stand on a soapbox and, and preach the gospel at you very well. But um, give me a couple of verses I can try to teach through it. Uh, but first I want to say uh, how thankful uh, that I am and my family is that we get to call this place home. Um, we've been in, we've been in Galveston since 2017 with a with a minor break. Uh, we were gone for a year and then came back, and we tried several churches. We called them home-ish for a while, and it just wasn't home. And part of our ministry as a house of prayer was we wanted to know everybody, so we went to let's just say there's 60 churches here. We went to 40 of them, and we're just trying to get to know the pastors. That's kind of hard to do and have a home church. Um, but then a year, or this is just kind of a funny story, a year and a half ago or, or a year and something ago, um, Topher got sick the Friday before Easter. He's like, hey, could you come lead worship for me at Antioch? Like, dude, I haven't even been to Antioch. He's like, ah, oh, it's, it's all good. Because he was part of the house of prayer and Robert trusted me. So I was like, yeah, sure, I can come in. And uh, so we come in and we didn't know it at the time, but we just felt something different here. We're like, oh, wow, this... This is home, you know? And so within like six months after that, this was home for us. And then you guys know some of the other story after that, how we, after another six months or so, we felt the Lord was saying, hey, this is home and merge your ministry. Take your house of prayer, plant it in a local church, and we'll just see where it goes from there. Uh, so anyways, all that to say, we're thankful that we get to do life with you guys. We get to be in a, um, in a, a life group we get to be part of the prayer room. We get to just do a life here, so it's just great. And so as we jump in today, I wanted to, as a teacher, um, kind of 
just lay out, what's my goal here for you guys today? And it's actually not just a goal for today. It would be a goal for, for any kind of teaching, really. But it's the ministry of the gospel. And what is the ministry of the gospel as a kind of a, as a leader, but also as a friend of many of you and um, just, you know, getting to know people. And the ministry of the gospel is really kind of threefold. And that's really to, for those that you are in contact with, so this is kind of an extension of that contact that I am with you guys today, that I would be there to increase the faith of you in the gospel. That's the ministry of the gospel 101, that I would increase your love for Jesus, that he would use me to turn something on somewhere in some scripture or some verse, that he just comes in here, he just increases your faith in some way today. That's the ministry of the gospel, increasing. Are you burning for Jesus? That's kind of the question. Uh, can, if I'm in a conversation with you, can I tell that you are burning for Jesus or is it kind of just an afterthought? I, I don't think I could say that for anybody in here today. Like, I think all of you guys are burning for Jesus. But like when I get in a conversation with Robert, we're not talking about the Houston Astros or whatever team. Like, I, I know nothing about that and I don't know how much Robert knows about it, but we're talking about Jesus most of the time. And if it's not, it's something around the theme of Jesus, you know? Or, I mean, if you get in a conversation with Nick, you, you kind of know where you're going. Like, you're, you're kind of entering the third heavens for a little while, because that's kind of where Nick lives, you know? So that's my point, though, with everybody, as we're um, interacting with each other, that's part of the ministry of the gospel, just one-on-one. -on -one. Is that flame getting a little hotter? Or, you know, is, if it's not hot, is it being restoked kind of thing? Um, and then two and three are um, spiritual maturity. Am I helping you along your journey of faith today in going from on the scale of immaturity to maturity? Am I helping you along that way? Um, and then walking in love, am I helping empower you to walk, um, to have a, a life of loving God, loving others, and loving the world around you. So that's just a little bit of kind of just a little, a little foundation of goals there. Uh, so I want to jump into what we're doing today, the beauty of the gospel. And I just have a question. Are you burning for Jesus, growing in spiritual maturity, and walking in love? That's, again, that's that foundation for you. Um, and kind of just a to softly launch our way into this, you know, kind of Houston uh, T minus 10 here. Um, what has Jesus done? And this is like just a little test, you know, <laughs> where, where's your, your fire for Jesus level at? Um, what can you thank him for? If you, if we had to make this real practical and like I had to bring the microphone around the room, could you like in two seconds say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for this and not like a, a very like Sunday school answer. Like I'm thankful for Jesus, you know, like, okay, we're all thankful for Jesus, but you're thankful for what? Like I was thinking about it earlier, I'm thankful, like I just mentioned to you guys, I'm thankful that we're here, that we're plugged in. Like some, some of you guys may have been plugged into a local church for years. Maybe this has been your local church for years, um, but just for somebody that's not been in a local church as a real home with family around us, that's something to be very thankful for. It's very rooting, it's very grounding, it's very life-giving. Uh, so that's just practical. What would you thank him for? So I just got a couple of examples for you guys, just in case, you know, you need that uh, priming of the pump. 
Um, he has, he's done a couple things. I, I put them on the screen for you. He has made us a kingdom of priests. Uh, Topher was talking about that last week. He has made us a kingdom of priests. So 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's something to be thankful for. You know, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about, like that fire in your eyes for Jesus. Are you thankful that it says you are chosen, like you are chosen to be a royal priesthood? He has awakened holy love within us. And some of, for some of you guys, that may be a, a newer concept, uh, but Robert was uh, teaching through Song of Solomon for a, a solid two months there. And Song of Solomon 2, verse 10, this is, uh, he says, my beloved, she says, my beloved spoke and he said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And this is after, if you guys remember some of Song of Solomon 1 and 2, where she has uh, this kind of, this love is awakened in her. She's just on fire. She's asking, well, how do I get even closer to you? He brings her into the banqueting table. This is like, you know, the honeymoon. And then the honeymoon kind of comes to an end. He comes to the window and he says, come away with me. Because she sees him coming and he's skipping on the mountains and he's doing all these cool things. And she's like, whoa, I'm used to the, the honeymoon chamber here. We're, where are you going? And he says, come with me. And if you guys remember some of the story, she kind of doesn't rise up for a moment there, and then she does later. But the point is, he awakens that love and calls us up. And then, you know, just to, just to, to, to give you the good part of the story, she does rise up eventually. And that story is all about spiritual maturity. Um, he has bought and redeemed us. How good is that? First Peter 2.9, again, this is the second half of that verse. Um, so we're a chosen race, royal priesthood. The second half of that verse, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How great is that? I mean, again, I'm just giving you guys a few things to be thankful for because if you haven't noticed, you know, uh, we start off every service here, whether it's a prayer set or worship Sunday morning or Thanksgiving. It is really hard to go into worship with a really stinky heart if you've just gone through five minutes of Thanksgiving. <laughs> you you kind of leave all that behind with Thanksgiving. Um, and so I'm just giving you guys a few few points here in case you need a little little ammo for your, for your um, Thanksgiving. He has made us new. This is a really, really good one. We're actually gonna end later with the same verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is something to be thankful for. And then, this is what he's going to do. Philippians 1.6 I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is what he will do. He's already kind of done this in you. But it's going to be completely done when he comes back. It won't be completely done until that day. Until that day, we're stuck in this body that's, you know, a little crusty, a little decayed, getting more decayed by the day. But he's saying, I started something good in you, and you can be thankful for this. That he, when he comes back, we're completely finished. He's going to come back, and we're going to get new bodies. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is beautiful. The question is, though, does this move you? 
he's ravished over you. We read that again in Song of Solomon. He's ravished over us. The question is, are we ravished over him? And I haven't even gotten into the beauty of the gospel yet. This is all just warm up for you guys. Uh, this is just, again, just a little fuel for the Thanksgiving. That we, because the idea is that we come in with Thanksgiving, like Micah was saying earlier, we come in with Thanksgiving. We just want to give a language to thank him. The person from the microphone is just doing what I'm doing right now, sparking something in you to give thanks for. All right, guys, we're going to jump in to the beauty of the gospel, and we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul. Because if you look at the Apostle Paul, he's kind of like the gold standard. Now, pre-1970s gold standard, because right now the gold standard doesn't, mean, doesn't really mean a whole lot. Maybe we call him the Bitcoin standard or something that's not going to, I don't really know, but I'm using the phrase the gold standard because I think we all understand what that's supposed to mean, although it doesn't really mean a whole lot these days. Um, you know, maybe we look at him and we're like, yeah, Paul's kind of an overachiever. Uh, I'm going to do half of what he did and I'm going to call it good. Or, uh, yeah, he kind of just makes me look bad because, dang, he was just so good. I can't do that. None of us can. And I want to look at Paul a little bit as we, as we jump into this today because he lived out the gospel so clearly. And we're, we're going to look at Romans 7 again here in a little bit just to make that point very clearly. But um, the question I have with this is if Paul's the gold standard, why do we label him as radical? Like if, if he's the if he's the guy that kind of like really lived by the words of Jesus, then why is normal Christianity something less than what Paul did? Uh, Paul should be like I'm saying like our golden standard here. I mean Jesus is obviously, but Paul, the guy that wasn't Jesus, lived very similar to Jesus, and um, yeah. So that's just kind of the the question there. Why do we why do we say oh man Paul was so radical and I couldn't possibly live like him but we can I, I, I want you to like walk away from today saying oh yeah I can I can do that I mean it's not just gonna happen because I said it but like it's it's an actual reality that we can live that way like I hope I hope if you had the idea that Paul is a superstar Christian and you have to live down here because the Holy Spirit isn't gonna do that to anybody else but Paul like Let's, let's just kind of break that off. I'm like, no, you can do that, and you should do that. But when we say Paul isn't radical, I mean, when we say Paul's radical and he's not our standard, that leads us to read Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or whatever he wrote, which is most of the New Testament. And we can kind of like, ah, just dismiss that. I mean, yeah, it's really good, but he didn't live in America in the 2000s. Like, that's just impossible nowadays. If Paul was alive now, there's no way he could do that. Like, that is such a lie. That's not true. It's not even close to true. But if you have that kind of limiting belief, you might read Romans 7, like many people do, and misinterpret it, which I don't want to jump into it yet. But if we look at Rome, well, yeah, let's look at Romans 7 just briefly, and then we're going to get back to it here in a minute. Romans 7, this is not in the, the slides on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you can flip open or thumb your way through, through an app. Put in your code. Hope you have a Wi-Fi signal. Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to start in verse 15. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here just to paint the picture. And we're not going to look at it too deeply yet. 
But my point with this is that if you, if you think that ra Paul is radical and you can't live like this, then you're going to misinterpret these verses. So in verse 15, Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Like, okay, let's just stop there. Like, that's just terrible. Like, if you think that you can't live the way Paul lived, then you're going to read this chapter a little wonky and be like, oh, okay, yeah. Paul has just given me the case that I can just go on sinning, which he even asked the question, what should we do? Should we keep on sinning? And he says, no. Like, <laughs> I love the way, if you read Romans 1 through 8, like, it's just so funny. You can just see the wheels turning in Paul's head, like, okay, yeah, they're going to misinterpret this. So let me just ask the question that I know they're going to ask and give them the obvious answer so they don't keep on misinterpreting me because I really don't want to be stoned again. That kind of hurt. <laughs> so when we look at Paul objectively, not as this radical dude that we couldn't possibly imitate, but if we look at him objectively, he actually exemplifies a fiery, passionate lover of Jesus and others and the world. And he's giving us a language for this kind of life. He's not giving us this uh, exposition on the gospel that only a theologian can understand if they write a commentary with 2,000 pages on it and they cross-reference 1,300 verses. Like, that's, that's so not true. The Bible was written, I was listening to a guy last night, the, 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 gospel, the, the Bible was written to uneducated peasants. Like, the majority of people in all of history have been way under PhD, okay? You don't need a, a medical doctor degree to read Romans. It's, it's actually pretty straightforward, okay? All right, so let's jump into um, the gospel here. So Paul's gospel. It's very simple. Actually, I wore a shirt for you guys today just... So you couldn't walk away not knowing what I'm talking about, okay? It's Romans 1.16. I'm unashamed, okay? You got it. Romans 1.16. This is like Paul's declaration. If you, like, you know, you're, you're writing a paper and, you know, those dreaded days when you had to write long papers. And you, have, you start off, you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to write about. Paul does that for us. I mean, how nice of him. In Romans 1.16, after, like, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, he's like, yeah, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle called to the gospel to teach you guys. Like, okay, that's who I am. Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this is what Paul does. He gives us Romans 1, 16 through 17, and he says, this is the gospel. And I'm going to give you guys seven more chapters after this, because he kind of switches gears in chapter 9. He's like, I'm going to give you seven. Of course, he wasn't writing chapters, but you know what I mean. Half of this letter I'm about to write you guys I just gave you the synopsis, Romans 1, 16 through 17. 
I'm not ashamed of this gospel, okay, because he's going through uh, these, all these Roman areas, okay? He's going through all these Roman-occupied areas where they believe in false gods. Like, their lives are dedicated to false gods. Their cities are named after false gods. They're, they have false god idol-worshiping temples as kind of their main thing in the middle of their cities. And for Paul to go into these cities and preach the gospel, that's pretty crazy, okay? There's a reason we call him radical, okay? Because we wouldn't do that, but we should do that. So that's what I'm saying. Like, that should be our normal thing to do. But he's just going to these places, and so he's writing to the Romans, like Romans, as in Rome, as in false god capital of the world, Romans. And he's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm, I'm actually unashamed of the gospel. Like, I've been stoned. Um, yeah, I've had city councils come against me. Yeah, I don't really care. Like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's actually the power of God to salvation. Like, all these other guys, they think they can please their gods by cutting themselves and you know, doing all these really bad things that they shouldn't be doing. He's like, well, I'm going to just tell you, I'm not ashamed of it. You shouldn't be either. This is actually the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And then verse 17 says, first, the righteousness of God in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. And he goes through in the next couple of chapters, and he outlines what is unrighteousness, and he outlines the whole evolution of sin that leads to unrighteousness, that leads to the law coming in, that leads to this, that, you know, all these things. He, he really, like, lays it out for us very easily, and it's not hard to understand but he goes through it because he wants to, again, he, he gave us the summary here. The summary is the power of the gospel. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. It's not ashamed of the gospel. For, is it the power of God? Yeah. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's his summary. And he goes on to tell us what is unrighteousness and why there's the law and why there's sacrifice for sin and why Jesus came. Like, he goes through all of this to point back to verse 16 and say, the gospel is the power of God to give you righteousness. You don't, you don't have to go get a goat and kill it anymore. Like, you don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore because Jesus came. But he, and that's, that's the power and the beauty of the gospel. Okay, so then Paul's gospel, part two, living dead to sin. I really wanted to call this live dead because there's this really cool, um, there's this cool missions agency within the Assemblies of God called Live Dead, where they literally, um, I mean, that's the name of their missions organization called Live Dead, and they go to all these, um, what do you call it, 1040 window countries, where, I mean, they literally could be killed at any point for being a missionary in one of these countries, but they take these scriptures, and we're just going to go live dead. I'm, I wanted to use that, but I wanted, I wanted to put it in a different, slightly different way, because Paul gives us multiple verses where he says we're supposed to identify with what Jesus did. We're supposed to take the beauty of the gospel and live it out, which means we live dead to sin. Okay? So Romans 6.11. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves 
to be dead indeed to sin. What does that mean to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed? Does that mean like think about it once before you get baptized, you know, 20 years ago or however long it was for you? Or is, I think Paul is saying something different. He's like, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Like daily, daily, this old sinful part of me is dead. Like it has no right to be living right now, okay? And of course, we live in these mortal bodies, but he's saying that sinful part of you, like Jesus came and he broke off the curse of Adam, he broke off the curse of sin. You, you don't have to live with that anymore. Like that's literally not who you are anymore. In Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse six, The Shulamite says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. So just back up for a second. Song of Solomon 2 is when the Lord says, rise up, come away. We just read it just a minute ago. Come away with me, rise up. And she doesn't. She doesn't go away. And then a couple of chapters later, after the Lord just wooing her in, like the, the Lord doesn't go and like, beat her with a rod and say, I can't believe you didn't get up. He just, he just causes this longing within her to like, to go running after him. If you guys remember some of the stories, she gets out of the, the bridal chamber and she goes into the city. She's looking for him and he meets her there in the city. He asked her to go to the mountains with her and she didn't go. And she gets up and goes to the city and he meets her there. Like that's how kind the Lord is to us. Like he wants to take us way down here quickly because it's good for us, but, but he knows that, that it's you know, a little step at a time. So Song of Solomon 4, 6, she says, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And what, what she's saying there, the mountain of myrrh and the, the hill of frankincense, if you remember Robert talking about this, that has to do with identifying with Jesus. Because if you guys remember, Jesus is crucified. They, they talk about the myrrh and the frankincense, and those are um, burial spices. Those are, those are very symbolic in the Jewish tradition of death and burial, okay? So this is, this is uh, us identifying with that. So this, this is the Shulamite, the, the, that's us in the story. Yeah, I will go up to that mountain of myrrh, that hill of Frank. I will go and die on that mountain with you because I don't want to live in that junk anymore. Like, I just want you. That's the best thing. So I want to live. That's the beauty of the gospel, living in that. In Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him. Again, this is Paul. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And this is the key. The fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. How do we live dead if we're not conformed to his death? How do we live dead to sin if we don't know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Like, Jesus really walked around putting his flesh to death every day. Like, can you imagine, like, to me, this is a funny story. Can you imagine Jesus, the most, I mean, the smartest, funniest, I mean, just the guy that knows it all, has all the power, and he's walking around with 12 kind of ignorant disciples. Like, these guys aren't the cream of the crop. They are not the most educated guys. 
and he's walking around with these guys and he is not sitting there correcting them everything they do. Like, Jesus could literally walk around with them and like, nope, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Get better, do this better. Gosh, guys, get over, get over yourselves. It's all about me, you know, like, he could have done all these things. Okay, let's, let's, let's bring it down our, to our level a little bit, okay. So let's say Andrew Ray over here is playing drums and I wanna play, play drums with him. And Andrew's like professional musician over here, okay. And I sit down on the box drum and I try to play it. And he's like, oh my gosh, dude, that's terrible. Like, no, nope, wrong beat. Nope, you did that wrong. No, if Andrew's more like Jesus, he's like, oh no, that's, that's really good. Oh, you're making progress. Wow, you're doing what I did. And, and of course I'm like way off beat and like totally not doing it right. But um, like you guys kind of see the point there. Like Jesus is so humble to walk around, not only with the disciples, but with us. And he's not just sitting there condemning us. Like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you didn't do this. He's actually with us. And so full circle of that whole thought, that was kind of a tangent, but just the idea that we get to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering because fellowship were there with him. The fellowship of his suffering is not just that he got beat before he got put on the cross. Like the fellowship of his suffering, he's, he's away from the Father for, three, for 30 years. Like, he's, I mean, he's not away from the Father. You guys know what I mean. Like, but he's, he's not in heaven. Like, he gave up his heavenly seat to come be one of us. Like, that's suffering. <laughs> okay, we got to know what that, that's suffering. Like, if you're God and you still want to become a human, that's, that's kind of a big ouchie. Like, I can't just go anywhere I want to right now. I can't snap my fingers and create a star or something like it doesn't work that way anymore uh, so that's yeah we we get to fellowship in that being conformed to his death end of that verse Galatians 2 20 okay Paul's really driving home for us I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me well, that, that's pretty straightforward okay like <laughs> don't need to say much about that right like we literally have been crucified with Christ, okay? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If, if that's really true, that, that kind of cha changes the way we live, right? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. All right, Matthew 16. So just, just so you guys don't think I'm just taking Jesus out of context here. Jesus says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What's interesting here to me, like I've read this for years, I've always kind of thought, well, this is really interesting. Jesus hasn't taken up his cross yet. Like, what's he talking about here? Like, all the disciples had to have been really, really confused. Because we look at it like, oh yeah, Jesus dies on a cross. So he's saying, take up your cross, you know, put your necklace. No, no, I'm just kidding. But take up your cross, go get nailed to it. Okay, but that hasn't happened yet. And Jesus is telling his disciples, deny yourselves, take up this worst form of persecution you can, and follow me. And if you're not going to do that, you're not worthy of it. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward. Um, and then I, um, I put in there for you guys the cross references, Luke 9, 23, just in case you wanted a, a second opinion there. Um, 
All right, so Paul's gospel, the Romans 7 dilemma. Okay, guys, let's jump in to Romans 7 again. Because again, I was confused reading this, not this week, but previously, like in the last, you know, five, ten years reading this. I remember like very specifically doing a Bible study through Romans to get through this chapter. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul is saying you can't do this. So why are you guys telling me I can't do this? Like there's some incongruity here. Okay, so let's go back and read this again. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But, is, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For, okay, let's pause there. Okay. Let's back up, back up, back up, back up. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, but then he just said here, but now it is no longer I who do, but sin that dwells in me. He says here, but Christ lives in me. So is Paul saying, this is my current struggle, that sin is dwelling in me and, and I don't do the things I want to do? I think that's the misinterpretation that we, with our 21st century lenses on, we read the gospel and we're like, no, Paul is too radical. There's no way we can live that way. Therefore, Romans 7 means sin's dwelling in me and I can't possibly live without it. I, I'm a new creation, I guess. That's what the Bible says. I'm supposed to believe it, but, but I got this sin issue. And so there's no way that Galatians 2.20 is, is is my current reality. That's, that's just some spiritual metaphor that can't possibly be true. But that's not, what, that's not what Paul says. In verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Verse 19, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do, it's sin that, it's, again, sin that dwells in me. That is not Paul's current reality, okay? In 21, verse 21, he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God. Uh, verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. In verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, this is key. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I think the misinterpretation here is we read this. Again, we read this saying, okay, Paul's making an argument here for all of us sinners. He's making this argument saying, yeah, I've just told you guys six, seven chapters of amazing content of how Jesus came to wipe away all the sin. He's made us new. And then he makes this like caveat argument here saying, but it's okay if sin dwells in you and you just can't get rid of it. That's actually not at all what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, he's giving an argument for what is your reality before you come to Christ. You wanna be a good person, but you absolutely cannot do it without Jesus Christ coming in you, making you a new person. So Paul's making this argument that we've completely misinterpreted. I'm not saying all of you have done this. I'm just saying kind of at large, Christianity at large, 
has taken this and kind of put our lenses on and said, nope, that can't be real. Therefore, we have permission to live this way. And of course, again, like I was saying, Paul goes on to say, should we keep on sinning? No. Grace abounds. Let's keep sinning. No. Okay? You don't have to live that way. Paul makes it very clear. So we'll go to the last point here. Paul's gospel, we're slaves of righteousness. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We read it earlier. Let's read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new because you're a new creation. Like, you're not just kind of new. You're not just partially saved. You're not just reborn, but you still got your sin in you. Like, he's saying you are new. Okay, Romans 6, 16. If we're new, okay, if, if we're made new, okay, we are now slaves of righteousness is what he goes on to say. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? This is really the main point I wanted to make for you guys today. Okay, you are a slave to righteousness now. Prior to Jesus, you were a slave to sin. Like, this sounds kind of like harsh language, but what Paul's saying here is when you become a follower of Jesus, you are now a slave to Jesus. Jesus Christ is, what do we call him? Lord and Savior. Okay, Lord means like he's your Lord, your master. Okay, we don't really use that language anymore. Like, oh yeah, Jesus is the King. He's the Lord of my life, I think, or he's, he's the guy on the throne, but I'm going to live my own American life and do whatever I want to do. Like, no, he's saying Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning that you are a slave unto a new Lord. Okay. So if you are a slave, you are obedient to that slave. You, you don't really have a choice. Okay. It's in your nature to be a slave to the one you obey. Okay. Slave to sin, you're literally you're stuck. You, you have to obey it. That was our old nature. Okay, we just read that in Second Corinthians. Our old nature was to be a slave to sin. In Romans six, Paul is telling us, no, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're actually you're actually still a slave, though. Romans six eighteen, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm not making this language up. Paul says this in verse six, chapter 6, verse 18. You are a slave to righteousness. That should be your reality. If it's not your reality, it should be. Jesus says it in John 8, 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. That's, that's another one of those verses where like, eh, can we just like X that one out? Like, I sinned earlier. I'm a slave to sin now. Paul's like very book up here because I wanted to just get a little plug for it, Back to the Gospel. Such a good book. There's this um, quote in here from the guy that wrote the book, Peter Lewis, but he's actually quoting Leonard Ravenhill. And Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill says this, you know, people say today, oh, I'm just a saved sinner. That's like saying you're a married bachelor. That's like saying you're an honest thief or a pure harlot. Those don't go together. <laughs> OK, 
okay? Like we are now slaves of righteousness. We're no longer just a sinner saved by grace. That's, that's not your nature anymore, okay? Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. So Paul's making it very clear. We are slaves to righteousness. Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians 3, 1, and a few other verses. I didn't put them all on there. But Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Like, do we walk around with that language? I, Robert, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Like, we don't talk that way. But that is who we are. That's who. That's how we should walk around. That is our life. So the last point here, Paul's gospel, walking in the Spirit. Peter Lewis, the guy that wrote this book, said, walking in the Spirit is very simple. I am dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Dead to sin, alive to God. It's two steps. Walking in the Spirit is not hard. It's not difficult. You don't need a PhD to do it dead to sin, you're alive to God in Christ. You are a slave of righteousness. Galatians 5, 16, say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what do we do with this? Walk in the spirit is not meant to be difficult. Again, the ministry of the gospel for you guys, I want you guys to walk away with your faith turned up a little bit, that you're a slave to righteousness. You're not off the hook to be free to whoever you want to be. You're free to be a slave to righteousness now. You're no longer free to be a slave to sin. So I just want you guys to walk away with this. Walking in the Spirit is not meant to be difficult. Just remember those two steps. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God in Christ. That's Romans 6, 11, I believe. So what else do we do with this? Pray for help. Like this is, Mike Bickle says this so clearly. We, we think it's dumb to pray for help. Like we, we think, I can do this, I got this. I can walk in the spirit, dead to sin, alive to Christ, dead to sin, alive to Christ. And we're walking around like, I can't do it. Like God's just like, just ask for my help. Cause yeah, you can't do it. You need my spirit to do it. Like Mike Bickle always says, help me love you more. Help me to want, that's, I think that's the one that we think is too dumb. Help me to want to do this. And that's a literal prayer to, to pray to God. Help me to want you. Because in our flesh, we don't. Okay, but we're not, we're not slaves to flesh anymore. Okay? What else do we do with this? Behold Jesus corporately and personally. Of course, you know, I can't walk out of here with, without plugging the prayer room. Now, I obviously want you guys to do this personally. But to do, to do this thing, beholding Jesus private life, but in, in a corporate setting, coming into the, the Antioch prayer room here Monday through Friday at some point, that's a game changer. I can't tell you how many times I've been having kind of a blah day and I'll walk into the prayer room and it's like immediately shifted. I mean, not only spiritually, but even physically. Sometimes I'll come in just not feeling good, have a headache, tired, lethargic, whatever walk in and something shifts when you're like in his presence and together okay and the last thing i want to give you guys what do we do with this pursue the beauty of the gospel in community okay whether that's life group 
meetings with people. I just want to encourage you guys to do this together with somebody else in a group of somebody else's. You know, like get in a life group if you're not already. If you are, be committed to it. Have friends around you. Again, those those conversations you have with people that you can just see the fire of Jesus in their eyes. And you're like, oh yeah, I want more of that. You know, like we we need that. and to walk, again, if I could drive home one point, slave of righteousness. Just to give you one little example of that, like a, a month or two ago, I felt the, you know, like just that idea of a, of a, of a slave master and they got, they got the chains, they're like got, got their slave on a chain or something. Like I don't literally think that's what Jesus is doing here, but just that picture was in my mind. of the Lord, and you guys may think this sounds super unspiritual, but it had to do with the diet and eating, like just the way I was eating didn't feel right, and I, and I mean that in like a, not in a gluttony kind of way, but like just a, just not right, I don't, know, I don't know how to put it in words, but it was like the Lord had these chains of righteousness, he was pulling me towards righteousness, and it led me into, I don't know what the chapter and verse is, but where Paul is, Paul and also Peter, they're both talking about don't call unclean what I've called clean. Because I really had in my mind, oh, what is the right thing to eat? There's got to be the perfect diet, you know, and I've got to find it. I'm, I'm going to die on this hill kind of thing. And, you know, make sure everybody does the right thing. And the Lord's like, just pulling me along. And I just want to give you guys that visual of chains of righteousness. They were slaves of righteousness. But he actually pulls us along into, like, so if you guys feel that, like, wow, do the right thing here. That's the Lord pulling you along as a slave of righteousness. So I want to invite the prayer leaders up here today. Um, and just as we end today, as we go into worship here in a minute, I just want to invite you guys up here, anybody that needs prayer for anything, but uh, just specifically, if you've had kind of any of those limiting beliefs of like, wow, Paul was just too radical and I can't be like that limiting mindset of like, man, I'm stuck in this sin, and it's just this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You may not have said those words, but it might have kind of limited you to not just living completely free. I just want to invite you guys up here to get prayer, of course, for anything else you need prayer for. So we just love you guys. Um, yeah, we'll just go into a time of worship and